3: I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. I'll be able to make friends. I'm just trying to make a little money. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Not one, not two, but three numbers went the way of the bulls today. Ah! And it was a welcome relief from the seemingly endless sell-off. Sell, 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 sell. That's how the Dow could surge 701 points while the S&P shot up 2.28%. And then as that covalent... Two point five, six percent. How's a pleasure? Coming in this morning, we expected that the economy would run too hot. Employment would escalate. Wage inflation would be skyline out of control. Yeah, we would get some booming factory orders. ISM services data showed the cost of services remained too high. It was all just. Instead, we got something very different. Despite the headlines about a strong labor report, we got a set of numbers that showed what may be an inflection, a bullish inflection. With wage inflation coming in lower than expected, factory orders were downright weak. Most important, and what really spurred today's rally, ISM services were astoundingly soft, something I didn't know a soul, a soul would expect. Put them all together, and this was a huge win for Jay Powell, our much maligned Fed chief. And by the way, he is much maligned. But now it looks like he may be landing the economic plane without the need to even foam the darn runway. These numbers were so unexpectedly weak that Treasury yields had a big gulp down to the point where I even felt the dividend stocks might not have such tough competition for the bond market. However, as good as these macro numbers were for the market, they'll become a sideshow when we actually start getting earnings reports. And that happens at the end of next week. But you know what? Let's not get ahead of ourselves With the game plan. On Monday morning, the J.P. Morgan Healthcare Conference gets rolling. And I think we're going to hear multiple good stories from these companies, especially Johnson & Johnson on Monday and Eli Lilly Tuesday, both of which we own for the Travel Trust. We'll be talking about them in our home stretch 2.30 p.m. program if you want to know what they've been saying. Now, you know these are two of my favorite companies with amazing prospects this year, and I think you should own them. We also hear from one of my favorite smaller financials. It's a company called Jeffries. I don't talk about it much. It's a boutique investment bank firm. I think it will be ideal tell, though, for the large banks that are reporting at the end of the week. The banks got hit with a number of downgrades today, yet Jeffries is near a 52-week high. They say all systems go. That means you might want to buy the big financials ahead of their earnings. Now, Tuesday brings us Albertsons. And this is a case of both inflation, how much of prices really going up at the supermarket, and what's the word on their attempted merger with Kroger. Over the weekend, I read an essay called Market Power and Inequality. It's co-written by Lena Kahn. She's the head of the Federal Trade Commission. And it was in the Harvard Law Review. This is one of the most anti-merger things I have ever read all my life. I spent a lot of time studying this stuff at Harvard Law. The most emphatic moment in this paper is when Kahn talks about and I quote, spectacular failures of antitrust, with the poster boy being the previous merger of Albertsons and Safeway, a predecessor to the current Kroger deal. Back then, Albertsons sold a bunch of overlapping locations to a much smaller competitor, Hagen, which quickly went bankrupt. Then they bought back dozens of those stores. I think Khan's way too much of a hardliner, but in the particular case, she's right to be angry. Now, I know someone at Kroger must have read this article before they decided to go ahead with this deal. But to me, it's clearly dead on arrival. Sure, they can fight the FTC in court, and they probably should win. Although at this point, you're probably gambling on which kind of judge they get. Next the Fed cares about wage inflation and the less than spectacular numbers we got today made people feel safe buying the metals and the chemicals and the home builders but uh, uh, are, are we really safe on Wednesday we get results from KB home You better pay close attention because the Fed wants lower housing prices. KB is the first to report after the most recent rate hikes. So we need to know if these sales are finally being impacted by higher mortgage rates. And more important, are housing prices finally coming down? Remember, today's macro numbers are a prelude to declines, or at least that's how Wall Street sees it. KB will tell us if it's actually happening. Thursday, we get the consumer price index, and that's still one more important piece of the Fed puzzle. Not as important as the numbers today, but still a hot button. If the CPI is cooler than expected, we'll get another good day, although not as much as today, because that week your ISM services numbers was the thing that really spurred the rally. Now, we won't have to wait long to find out how important the CPI might be, because St. Louis federal president. Since Fed President James Bullard speaks later today. Now, Bullard, he's been on the hawkish side, but he gave a presentation yesterday, well, a pressure one, I must add, that indicated that concerns about the slowdown in the economy are, could be genuine, and he doesn't want to be too dogmatic about the rate hikes. We could get a weak number, and it could be impactful. Then again, as of this week, Bullard's no longer a voting member of the Federal Open Market Committee, which is what calls the shots. So he might not have as much sway with the market as he did last year, but he does with the media. Friday, let the games begin. Wall Street's turned cautious, if not downright negative, about the bank stocks. Yeah, thanks for nothing now. Yeah, but Wall Street's worried about possible loan losses and the need to build reserves to get ahead of that weakness, uh, rather than focusing on any of the positives that come from higher interest rates. Remember, every rate hike instantly makes the banks more profitable. I think it's nuts that this group has fallen way behind the market. To me, it represents great value. On Friday, we hear from Wells Fargo, now down 20 points from where it was trading five years ago. Meanwhile, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was at 25,000 and now it's at 34,000. Wells has the most room to run, and I think it'll do just that which is why it's one of our biggest positions for the Chapel trust. I expect J.P. Morgan to put up fine numbers, although this one's just one from 101 October to nearly 138 now. Ooh, that's big, including another two points today. Bank of America should deliver consistently great numbers. That's what they seem to always do lately. And then there's BlackRock. While well, I expect them to talk about some sluggishness in their assets under management because of the bear market, I'm betting that proprietary technology will once again allow them to beat the numbers. Finally, maybe we can get to the bottom of the decline in the United Health Group, one of my favorite stocks. Some say it's because of potential shortfall in employment, because as a health insurer, they are levered to the size of the workforce. But when we spoke to J.P. Morgan's Lisa Gill yesterday, she questioned if it might be a combination of news out of Washington, including the possibility that Democrats end up nominating someone who, who tax further left than Joe Biden next year. Lately, there hasn't been much talk about price gouging by the by the healthcare industry, But that could easily change depending on who's ends up running for president. Bottom line, the streets prep for huge disappointments once the results start rolling in next week. That's maybe the most positive thing I can say about earnings season. But I'll take low expectations over high expectations any day of the week. William in Michigan. William.
2: Hey, thanks for taking my call, Jimmy.
3: My pleasure, William. Jimmy, chill at your service. What's up? A, one pays a dividend
2: in the second month of the quarter, and one pays a dividend in the third month of the quarter. Is it okay to own both, EPD and PXD?
3: Um, Well, you know, I care more about diversification than I care about anything else. And one is a pipeline company. Uh, They're both excellent companies. Uh, it, it, but they're not why you necessarily buy these stocks. You buy it because you think oil's going higher. I like Pioneer best. I think that's the one you want to be. At. All right. The stream's prepped for huge disappointments once the results start rolling in next week. You know what? Maybe that's the best thing I can say about ahead of earnings season. When everybody's negative ahead. That's not so bad, right? I'll take low expectations over high expectations any day of the week. Well, man, today, yesterday, was a tough day for the market but an even tougher day for an alpha called Silvergate Capital. So why does the crypto alpha fall from grace? What does it mean? What does it mean to the entire crypto ecosystem? What does it mean to you? I'll give you my take. Then 2022's biggest losers in the NASDAQ were much easier to find than the winners. I'm taking a look at the bottom 25 stocks, see if anything could pose an enticing buying opportunity for the next year. And drone manufacturer air environment. will shed some light on how the war in Ukraine is impacting defense contractors and its bottom line. So stay with Kramer.
4: Don't miss a second of Mad Money.
3: Yesterday was kind of a bad day for the market, wasn't it? But it was an even worse day for Silvergate Capital. That's the crypto outfit that tumbled nearly 43% before losing even another 2.3% today. Now, even before that decline, this thing was already down more than 90% from its all-time highs. A little over a year ago, a good example that stocks can always go lower, at least until they hit zero. Why do we care? Because Silvergate's a pivotal part of the crypto ecosystem, such as it is. And I think this story is a great example of everything that's wrong with that industry. It's good to talk about it on an up day so you don't just feel like, oh, my God, can anything go right with this group? On Wednesday night, this crypto bank made a series of horrifying disclosures, which is why it's now getting creamed. And if we don't address it tonight, I worry that the market capitalization will shrink to the point where I'm no longer allowed to talk about it on air. First so you need to understand what Silvergate does. This used to be a California-based community bank, but about a decade ago, they pivoted into cryptocurrencies with the goal of offering traditional financial services to companies in the crypto space, especially the cryptocurrency exchanges. They got in very early at a time when most banks wanted nothing to do with anything Bitcoin-related, and back then it was really only Bitcoin. Now, they built themselves into something that's essential. Most importantly, they operate something called the Silvergate Exchange Network or SCN for short, which is a payment network for the crypto space. This network lets you send U.S. dollars to other Silvergate customers instantly 24-7, just like crypto transactions, much less cumbersome than a wire transfer. The other big component here is money lending. Silvergate offers U.S. dollar-denominated loans, and they're willing to take Bitcoin as collateral. At one point, they were working on their own stablecoin, a kind of pseudo-money market fund that allows you to go in and out of crypto markets with little friction, something I've said repeatedly is the most dangerous link in the crypto chain. Now, Silvergate came public in late 2019 at $12 per share. Great timing as the stock rallied all the way to $239 in November of 2021, along with the bull market in crypto. If you look at the chart of Silvergate versus Bitcoin, they're practically joined at the hip Remember, anyone who wanted to become a major player in crypto needed an account on Silvergate's exchange network, I guess. Again. And as these outfits made more money, they had more deposits to leave with Silvergate. <laughs> of course, when crypto started crashing a little over a year ago, Silvergate's stock crashed, too, which is how the stock came back to the 20s not long ago. Hey, live by the Bitcoin, die by the Bitcoin. Still, in it's, it's the, the last couple of months, everything started going real crazy. Ever since FTX, one of the top crypto exchanges, went under in November amid a cascade of fraud accusations, Silvergate's stock has lost 76% of its value. And this is when things start getting really ugly. turns out FTX, Alameda Research, and other outfits controlled by Sam Bankman-Fried had accounts with Silvergate accounting for roughly $1 billion of the company's deposits. In the third quarter, they only had $12 billion of digital assets deposits, So, uh, you know, that's a pretty significant chunk, right? A big chunk of the business going on overnight. On top of that, even if there's not necessarily any legal risk from FTX connection, any kind of relationship with Sam bankman fried represents what I call reputational risk, which is why Silvergate's been forced to defend itself to a bipartisan group of angry senators who wrote an open letter to the CEO accusing these guys of being, and I quote, at the center of the improper transmission of FTX customer funds, end quote. And there might be legal risk, too, as Silvergate's already been hit with at least one class action lawsuit over this. There may be many more litigation. It won't be cheap. Worst of all, after the FTX implosion, there was a huge level of uncertainty that caused deposits to worry if Silvergate would have enough money. And that's a concern that's hit everything in the crypto space. And rightly so, because on Wednesday night, things got much worse. Silvergate pre-announced a series of operating uh, stats for the fourth quarter, and these numbers were straight out of a horror movie. Remember how they had $12 billion in total deposits from digital customers in the third quarter? Well, get this. They're now down to $3.8 billion. We're talking about a 68% decline in deposits. You know, to me, that sounds like a bank run. How did Silvergate cover these withdrawals? Well, first, they borrowed more money from their existing credit facilities, but that wasn't even enough. Silvergate only ended up selling $5.2 billion worth of debt instruments that it had held as investments to cover these withdrawals. Unfortunately, they had to sell their paper at a loss. Adding it all up, Silvergate lost $718 million in the process. How bad is $718 million? How do we put this in perspective? Okay. That number far exceeds all the money SilverGates earned since it pivoted to crypto in 2013. At the peak in 2021, the profits only came to $75 million. So in order to cope with this digital bank run, they lost nearly 10 times as much money as they made in their best year. Suboptimal, to put it lightly. Remember that stablecoin they were developing? SilverGates now taking a $196 million charge to write off the entirety of that investment. When we spoke to CEO Alan Lane less than a year ago, he told us that stablecoin technology would be, quote, off the charts valuable. Although I guess he didn't specify in which direction off the charts. But that's how you get a 43 percent single day sell off in a stock that was already off 90 percent from its highs. So what's next? Honestly, when you look at the scale of the bank run here, it's remarkable that Silvergate's still in business. Most banks that get hit with 68% withdrawals in such a short period likely would go under. Maybe it's a testament to, that, well, that they're surviving. Plus, unlike all of these crypto exchanges that are going bust left and right, nothing seemed to go wrong with Silvergate's infrastructure. They're able to honor all of their withdrawals, Good for them, Remember, Silvergate's an actual bank, which makes this less of a clown show than the rest of these guys. Ordinarily, an FDIC-insured uh, institution would never have the kind of bank run that Silvergate's have, but Silvergate's customers are all concentrated in on one particular industry that desperately needed cash. I don't think they're withdrawing out of panic. They're withdrawing because they're underwater and need to cover too many obligations. But at the end of the day, this is still a crypto bank in an environment where all sorts of crypto institutions are collapsing. Bank of America just hit Silvergate with a brutal downgrade from neutral to underperform, taking the price target from $37 to $8. And honestly, that feels a little generous to me. If you don't believe FTX will be the last crypto exchange bankruptcy, then you shouldn't even think about owning something like Silvergate. Even Kathy Wood's given up on it, a true benchmark of towel throwing. Then again, the legendary Bill Miller still owns it because he's a Bitcoin believer. He sees Silvergate as one of the safer ways to play it, and he recommended it earlier this afternoon on our network. For once, I'm more inclined to side with wood. Bottom line, even the most legitimate players in crypto have been obliterated here. And while a chartered bank like Silvergate can possibly stay afloat, it's way too risky for you to go near a story that's deteriorating this rapidly. Mad Money be back after break.
4: Coming up, dogs of the DAC. Kramer runs through the Nasdaq's poorest performers next.
3: The collapse of the Nasdaq 100 over the last year feels a lot like the dot-com crash, but there's one huge difference. This time, many of the companies in the Nasdaq 100, even last year's 25 worst performers, actually make money. They aren't trading at some crazy price of sales multiple. Some some have got good businesses. Others are simply getting hit by the business cycle. Their stocks were disastrous last year, but unlike in 2000-2001, dot-com crash, most of them are generally worth something. So which of the losers at the bottom of the Nasdaq glitter could make a comeback this year? i want going to get right to it. I'm going to start with Airbnb. Right, this is a profitable company that should make a lot of money in 2023, given that we've got a travel boom. They dominate their entire category so they can afford to cut back on spending aggressively. Now the potential competitors really can't get any funding. So how come Airbnb stock got crushed last year? Simple. It's guilty by association, people. This is a COVID beneficiary that came public at the end of 2020. To many on Wall Street, it's indistinguishable from every other recent IPO. Wrong. Pure lazy thinking. Sure, we're going into a slowdown, but the last time CEO Brian Chesky came on the show, he talked about how well the business was holding up. Only for people to interpret his positive comments in the most negative possible light. Drove me crazy when it happened. Shouldn't really come as a surprise. Like every other high, uh, former high flyer that's been brought low, nobody wants to give these guys the benefit of the doubt. As much as I believe in Airbnb going forward, that doesn't change the market's attitude toward this kind of stock. If you want to buy it, you have to buy it gradually on the way down. Don't just buy it all at this level because you heard me say something about it, okay? If you buy it, at all, if you buy it all at once, you're a madman. All right, now we can kick an Airbnb around for, uh, to buy for the Travel Trust. But I sometimes worry it will be stuck as a trading vehicle forever. And we don't like to trade for the trust. Still, when you look at the bottom 25 of the NASDAQ 100, this one jumps out as the only company with a real moat around it that's going to be very profitable this year, even as the stock trades like it's losing fortunes. Next up, we've got not one but two beaten-down semiconductor plays that are too risky to buy in the next few months. Although people certainly were crazy about them today, but you know, maybe even uh, let's say through the end of the year, they're definitely going to bottom. I think there'll be unbelievably strong buys by the end of the year, but you might have to anticipate that. That's why I feel the need to flag them: Micron, the commodity chip maker, and Lam Research, the semiconductor capital equipment maker. Micron makes DRAMs and flash memory chips, the basic building blocks of all sorts of devices. LAM Research makes the machines needed to manufacture these chips and many others. Right now, Micron seems like a real screw-up, right? But that's not true. Micron's a great company. It's just a very cyclical one, a classic boom-bust business. Right now, we're in a bust mode because we've got major gluts in cell phones and PCs. At the same time, Micron competes against Samsung, big loss last night, which I believe is selling these DRAM chips right through their costs in order to take the market share. I don't like that. It's not a smart strategy. It's not right. It, it, It hurts Samsung's competitors, though. It hurts Micron. Now, Micron needs to see a pickup in demand for both PCs and cell phones that's sustained. The stock currently trades at something above book value. What Micron would be worth if it liquidated the entire business tomorrow? So there's value here, but nobody's going to take it over, so that might be a moot point. Like I said before, I think it's too soon to go all in on Micron here. You need to wait several months before it's safe. However, you can't wait until the glut's over before you start buying. Once there's any sign of a bottom, this thing will bounce back like crazy. Always has. you got to get in ahead of the real bottom, not the trading bottom. Not now, because I expect this quarter to be weak and there will be more guide downs. But we're beginning to annualize that weakness. i might not to come in a little. Wait for the ugly results. But by the middle of the year, you're going to want to start accumulating the stock. I feel the same way about LAM Research, a tremendous semiconductor capital equipment maker. Nobody wants to touch LAM right now because the chip makers don't buy much new equipment when demand for their products fall off a cliff. Makes sense, right? I mean, this should be a down year for them. But like with Micron, you can't afford to wait around too long after this next bad quarter because lamb stock will bottom months before the business does. Again, the near future could be real ugly as chip makers seem to be falling all over themselves to please Wall Street by cutting orders. They'll probably overcut, at which point they'll start placing more orders again by the end of the year. My only real worry with land research is that so much semiconductor manufacturing gets done in Taiwan. and Taiwan's uniquely vulnerable to a hostile Chinese government. But I think China needs to stabilize things at home before they do anything crazy beyond the borders. Now, both of these stocks had huge gains today as part of the broader rally. So there is no re- t- reason to chase them. It wasn't because of the fortunes. Nothing has changed for the better other than the stock prices for these two stocks. But it's good to know that they can rally at all, given how much Wall Street really disdains them. Next up, I was surprised to see Illumina in the down now portion of uh, NASDAQ. This is a superb life science company. They make some of the best gene sequencing machines out there. Illumina has had some execution issues, but there's no doubt about the quality of the product. That said, if you want life sciences exposure, I'm going to send you to something else that's real down. That's Danaher. It is down huge. Yet it's got a nice catalyst as they're about to spin off their slower growing water quality business. Why Spurn Alumina for them? Simple. The best reason to recommend this stock is that it's an ideal takeover candidate. When it gets cheap enough, well, somebody will want to buy it. But a few years ago, Illumina spurned a deal from Roche. And now we've got a Federal Trade Commission that's incredibly hostile to mergers. While some deals will still get done, the odds for takeover speculation are much worse than they used to be. And that's why I'd rather stick with Daner, especially since their COVID testing business should actually get a big boost. Now that China's unleashed massive outbreaks and is finally letting millions of people leave its borders. Hey, uh, Daner, by the way, was hit by a couple of downgrades over the potential uh, order weakness in the last few days. I urge you to think of this company long term. Don't worry about the short term. Every time there's a, a difficulty with any product line, management has quickly failed fix that difficulty. Whatever Dan Hurt needs to do to do well for shareholders, it has done. And I think he will do the same thing now. Hey, finally, I want to sneak in Qualcomm, Okay, Right now, traders are anticipating that Qualcomm, which the charitable trust owns, will start losing iPhone orders in 2024. But because of some technical issues at Apple itself, it's possible Qualcomm might be able to keep some of those orders for next year. That possibility is not in the numbers. Qualcomm dominates key parts of almost all high-end cell phones. But the expected future loss of Apple has kept the lid on the stock for ages. Maybe that lid comes off at least long enough for them to diversify into the auto market, where they're making a huge push to become the de facto brains of electric vehicles. Qualcomm's already locked up GM. I can think of worse partners. Plus, at 11 times earnings with a 2.6% yield, the stock is far from expensive, particularly when it comes to semiconductor land. Bottom line, out of the Nasdaq's biggest losers, I think Qualcomm, Land Research, Micron, and Airbnb— will work this year, although not necessarily the first half. And maybe they've just been down so long, it's looking up to me. And don't forget, Illumina, which I think is going to make a comeback, too. Let's take some phone calls. Let's go to Scott in New Hampshire. Scott. Jim, how are you today? Scott, I'm having a good day. How about you? I'm doing great. Listen, uh, I'm calling about Haynes-Bram. Where do you think they'll be – Eighteen months, two
2: years from now, and do you think? Um,
3: well, I, I mean, I think they're trying to look. They're trying to rally the stock because they're trying to rally all the all the uh, companies that have really low multiples that people think can come back. I don't want you to touch the stock because I think that's a very competitive brand, very competitive part of the, of, uh, of apparel. So let's not go there. Let's go to Eric in Wisconsin, please. Eric.
2: Hey there, Jim. Um, here. I have a question for you uh, related to Portillo's stock. Um, growing up, I was about five minutes away from the closest one in my hometown. Um, now in Wisconsin, I still see lines jammed to pack around the corner. What are your thoughts on the stock even after being down 50%? It's driving the last me crazy year?
3: that it's a 16. When, we went, I, when I went to Portillo's recently, it was so terrific. The stock is now down like nine straight dollars. I just, I think you're right. I think you buy it and put it away. Thank heaven someone called me on this one because I do believe the Portillo's represents a great bargain here. All right, Alvin Azek's biggest losers. I think Qualcomm, Lamb Research, Micron, Airbnb, and let's not forget Illumina could work in 2023. Now there's much more mad money ahead, including my exclusive with AeroVironment. Where does the drone market stand as global demand continues to rise? Let's check in with the CEO who's got a great order backlog. And the market closed out the week with a nice rally. But what was the one takeaway that I got from today's action? I'll reveal it. It has to do with yesterday's closing comments. And all your calls, back and Fire, tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stay with Framer. In the new year, we can't just assume what worked in 2022 will keep working in 2023. We have to stay close to the best stories make sure they got the latest and greatest. Which brings me to AeroVironment, the maker of drones and switchblades, including the explosive ones that are being put to good use in Ukraine. Like so many other defense stocks, AeroVironment roared last year up 38%, but that whole move came last spring, just after the war started. Since then, the stocks have been kind of bounced around between 80 and 100. Plus, the last quarter was a clear, well, let's say, miss the way Wall Street thought of it. But I think what matters are orders. Part of this is because even though Air Environment's products are making it into the war, we're not selling nearly as many drones and robots to Ukrainians as we should be. That's my view. But our government only wants to escalate so much. So how, what can we think about this going forward? Let's check in with, with Waheed, the Wabi. He is the chairman and CEO of Air Environment. Get a better situation. Mr. Wabi. welcome back to the show. Thank you. and Great to be with you, Jim. OK, so I've got to ask you, uh, this must be the single uh, best time to be in the business of drones sim- because for the first time we have a land war and it's the safest way for soldiers to be able to be in battle and win.
1: That's precisely true, Jim. And uh, it is an incredibly exciting time for air environment as well. I've been with the company for over a decade. In the last six years I've been CEO, we've delivered tremendous value to our customers and our shareholders. Um, Our stock's gone from like 20s to close to 80s now. But I believe that never has the opportunity for growth and prosperity and value creation been bigger and better than what it is today.
3: Now, I want people to understand there's a very ballyhooed piece of equipment called the Javelin, which is a very expensive uh, uh, missile and you, you have to be very close to what you're trying to assault. And then there's your products.
1: Tell me the difference. So Switchblade 600 is a massively better alternative to a Javelin. Javelin can go up to about three to five miles of basically range, so where you can hit it. And you also have to have eye on the target. When you're firing it, you, have to, you must be physically able to see the target through the scope of the Javelin warhead, the weapon system. Switchblade 600 has the same warhead, an anti-tank warhead, but it can go up to 90 kilometers. And it could go and fly for 40 plus minutes, almost an hour. And so therefore, you can take out targets far, far further away than what Javelin can take. You can take your time to find the target, prosecute it, and there's a lot of more other technology built into it that allows it to make it extremely precise.
3: Well, the natural question is, is are we winning? trying to go for a win or for a tie? It sounds like if we use your equipment for Ukraine, Ukraine would be able to destroy a
1: whole columns of tanks. I'm a firm believer that if Ukraine had two to 4,000 switchblade 300s and 600s, the outcome of this war today would be dramatically different. How many do they have right now? They have received about 1,000 of them. But uh, you're Switch saying. 300 but
3: and, you have the capability to
1: actually do that? We have, a, we have multiple factories right now in the United States that has the ability to produce thousands of them, multiple thousands of them today. How many has uh, NATO bought? Uh, we now have received authorization to export Switchblade 300 and 600 to 20 plus allies around the world. Okay. So far, we have been announcing four of them France, Ukraine, uh, United Kingdom. In Lithuania,
3: So you have record backlog with those?
1: Right now, we are at a record level of backlog. As of November of last earnings call, we had close to $400 million in backlog, which is really historic. And I believe that's just the tip of the iceberg. I believe that that's going to continue to grow over the next several years. Well, you have to,
3: what, a potential billion-dollar contract, uh, huge order
1: from Army. That's right, yeah. So we have an uh, Army Feature Tactical UAS for a Jump 20 Group 3 UAV, which is a bigger UAV, that can actually even carry switchblades on it. We won Increment 1 of that, which is considered to be the replacement for the Shadow UAV. That's a billion dollar program record for the US Army. We are the lead provider of that. We were selected as sole source so far on Increment 1. And we're executing on that. And I think that is going to lead to a much bigger acquisition over the next three to five years.
3: It would seem that for a lot of people, we're worried about a recession, which seems to be prevailing. These have nothing to do with uh, economic sensitivity. No, I mean,
1: our business, we're in the most exciting category of technology. We're a defense technology growth company. We've been growing. We're going to have strong growth this year. And we expect even stronger growth next year. Our business, as I see it today, given the conflicts around the world, the uncertainties around in our allies' appetite for growing their defense, especially in robotics, we're at the heart of that. There is no company that I can think of that is well positioned for this potential growth and momentum in Air environment how, with our broad portfolio.
3: How many has, does Taiwan have?
1: So Taiwan is a very good candidate for receiving thousands of them. We are working with them amongst many other allies. Many of them are in the process of trying to do the, get the approval to get the exports and then obviously do the acquisitions through either foreign military sales or direct commercial sales.
3: Okay, I'm going to go back again to Ukraine. If Ukrainian soldiers want to destroy as much armament as the Russians had, and they could get thousands of different, uh, of, of your best drones, what is really the gating factor? Why don't they have them?
1: Primarily, the ability for the U.S. DOD to place a contract with us is number one. And that what the what sooner, is so your can, American company? So the U.S. government has to actually place a contract and place an order with us to be able to buy these to provide it to them, and number one. Number two, the only supply chain constraint that we still are facing to some extent is the warhead. But that's a U.S. government furnished equipment, meaning it's the same warhead that goes into a Javelin as it goes into our Switchblade 600. On Switchblade 300, we have secured all those, and we're in the process of delivering more of them to the U.S. DoD, who then, in turn, provides it to many of our allies.
3: A Ukrainian soldier who wants to destroy a tank. Safer way, Javelin, or
1: your product? That's right. Our product, hands down, is far, far more superior. The feature sets, the capability of Switchblade is unmatched. And the track record of its success in the last decade is unrivaled.
3: Well, you'll see record backlog, good balance sheet, great management. You've done a terrific job. Recession proof. I don't know. This is really air environment's time.
1: Like I said, I've been here for about a decade. The prospects for growth and prosperity and value creation has never been greater, in my opinion. Well,
3: Wahindo Dawabi, when I saw you last, I was worried that there would be no defense use, and I was talking about agriculture. I wish it were just agriculture, but that's not the world we're in. Congratulations for everything you've done. Aero environment, this stock, I think, is a winner for the rest of the year and beyond. Thank you so much. Great to see you. Thank you, and great to be with you. May I have money back here for a break.
4: Coming up, Kramer wants to hear from you. Your calls on the thunderous lightning round. Next,
3: it is time, it's time for the lightning round. Play the sound, and then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, ski daddy? Time for the lightning round. We're going to start with Robert, New Jersey, Robert. Hi, Jim. What do you think of right. coining GLW? The stock price oh, is fine. It's fine. stagnant it says it's over the too past years. Let it come in. Let it come in. All the other tech stocks are down so much. Let it come in. I want to go to Josh in Arizona. Josh! How are you doing, Jimmy?
2: Go-
3: I'm doing good, Josh. How about you?
2: All right. I have a stock that I've had for quite a while. Um, <clears throat> I need to know if this thing is a broken stock or does it have any life up in it. And the name of it is Beryl. Beryl Pharmaceutical.
3: All right. Beryl's going to have to do something else other than what they're trying to do with uh, with the pandemic. And they don't have it anything right now, which is why the stock's already down at five. And I'm very concerned about it. Let's go to John in Florida. John. Hey, how you doing, Jim? Bye, you. What's going Booyah. on with you, John? Booyah. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> can you do me a favor and give me some insight on HQY? Health, Health equity? equity. Uh, yeah. Expensive stock. Another one of these stocks. Not making not making much money. I think we have to take a major league pass on that particular situation. Let's go to Arson in Ca- Arson in California Arson. Yes, Mr. Jim B-b-b-b-reb. That means hello in Armenian. Okay, I just learned something. What's going on? M B L Y, Mobileye. Okay, I have to like Mobileye. It's owned by Intel, which is uh, you know like it's just a subsidiary. I think that you should hold off on buying Mobileye right now. If Tesla comes down ten, I'd rather buy Tesla. I'd rather go to Michael in Virginia now. Michael.
2: Hey Jim, thanks for having me on. My pleasure i've been building a pretty large position in this company for the past year it's been doing really well and it's uh, up four percent today i'm seeing these big lime green trucks driving around everywhere I'm seeing lime green dumpsters and it looks like they're doing really good what do you think about gfl green for life I like GFL.
3: I like GFL. Now I'm a big, I'm a look, I'm a waste management guy. I was thinking of the green trucks, that's all they got that business too. Uh, for public service is good, but I think yours, I've looked at yours before. An old friend of mine who played uh, ice hockey told me about it. I think it's a real good situation. Let's go to Bob in New Jersey. Bob.
2: Jimmy, chill. Greetings from beautiful Harrison, New
3: Jersey. Man, loving Jersey. What's happening?
4: Jim, you know your retail history. Do you remember two guys?
3: Two guys from Harrison?
2: You got yeah, it. Yeah, that
3: was unacceptable. That was a not great situation, the two guys.
2: <laughs> uh, well, that was Renato trust, right?
3: Yeah, that's right. DNO. Turned it into it. What's up?
2: Yeah. Uh, my stock is ChargePoint.
3: Oh, that's a tough one. You know that. I mean, come on. You've been around and I've been around, Bob. And we know that ChargePoint's a little too speculative for the show. I wish we, a couple years ago it would have been fine, but this market doesn't allow you to like it. Let's go to Doug in Florida. Doug! Hey, Jim. How you doing? I'm doing fine, Doug. Thank you for asking. How about you today?
2: I'm doing great. I just want to get your take on Bumble, ticker B-M-B-L.
3: You know, this stock is, you remember, we like stocks that make fun. You do things, but they have to do it and, and be very, very profitable, and we're not seeing the kind of profitability that makes me feel like that stock's inexpensive. Now I want to go to Zach in Minnesota. Zach!
2: Good evening, Mr. Jim. Uh, I've been wondering if I
3: should add to my position in suburban popane, as it. If- closer to my original. It's OK, but I like dollars. I like enterprise product partners. The problem is propane market is is, is uh, historically, uh, let's say, too volatile and erratic for me. I want to go to another one. I want to go to Brian in Colorado. Brian.
2: Hey, Jim, Rocky Mountain Booyah
3: to you and Happy New Year. Major Major Rocky Mountain. Hi, Booyah. John Deborah Booyah. What's up?
2: Hey, I wanted to ask you about a company I've followed for years uh, what's your opinion on Axon Enterprises sticker A? I I like it. Rick
3: Smith's done a good thing. He's going beyond the taser. He's got a whole suite. It's, like a, it, it's a terrific law enforcement package that I think is really good for everybody. I like it. Let's go to Mike in Illinois. Mike! Kotera Energy. All right, we finally could update Katerra. I'm getting artists. very tired of the bears in Katerra. It's the best natural gas company and a great oil company. And people should stop picking on it. It's going to be a real good situation, and it's got a great yield. CTRA is for me. I'm not done. I want to take another call. Let's go to Tom in Wisconsin. Tom. Hi, Jimmy. How you doing tonight? Hey, man, I'm having a super-duper time. How about you? Doing good today. I've been good, a long-term good. follower of you, and... First with action alerts, and now with the club.
0: Thank you. The club advice. rocks. What's happening?
3: I got one. I need your advice on. Okay. This one doesn't, this one doesn't go with the criteria you got set, but give it a shot. Yeah, make things it's Called. So. Okay. New New Scale Power. The symbol of SMR. If you want, s- a long- if you want small nuclear module reactors, I'm going to have to send you the Constellation Energy Group. That's who's got it. And I'd rather own... There's either... I'm going to do a two for Constellation Energy and Constellation Modelo and Corona. I like anything that's Constellation. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round! The Lightning
4: Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, when the going gets tough, the tough get to work. Kramer on why desperation is no recipe for resurgence. Next. Monday, kick off the trading day with Squawk on the Street. Live from Post 9 at the NYSE.
3: There are many companies that are legit companies, Carl, and they are going down as fast. They're not tosy. Literally and (laughs) figuratively. Right.
4: It all starts at 9 a.m. Eastern.
3: Jim Cramer, the diehard of the dollar. Hey, Jimmy, love the show. My five-year-old grandson loves to watch your show.
2: I have to thank you for making us money when it's there to be made. Our world is a better place with you
3: in it. Be careful with conventional wisdom. It might be too conventional. That's my takeaway from today's Amazing Action. You know I'm as irrepressible as it gets when it comes to the stock market. There's a reason I end every show with there's always a bull market somewhere. I genuinely believe it. But lately we've had a problem as one bull market after another has been discredited. We had the oils. Then we lost them during crude, sickening plummet from well over 100 to the 60s. Of course, when oil wasn't 100, we had tons of people say it was going 200. So naturally, when it got to 70, we had a lot of people say it was going 50. I don't know if it gets there, but there's no doubt that oil bull has been sent to the slaughterhouse, at least turned more of a steer market. Still bovine, definitely not bull. We had a bull market in health care, but suddenly the group's back on the griddle because we don't know if Biden will run for re-election. The guy's 80 years old. And if he doesn't run, then you can expect a new crop of Democratic candidates to be spending the race beating up on big pharma. We had retail, but that went down the drain with a glut in apparel. We had a run in infrastructure stocks when people got impatient about all the federal spending that's on the way, but it's definitely not here yet. Which brings me to the real dilemma I face every night when I come out here. Last night I got home and I couldn't figure out where the bull market might be besides maybe gold. Perhaps because crypto's blowing up in front of our eyes. Gold and crypto draw from the same constituency. Anyone who likes to rant about how fiat currency is inherently untrustworthy. Worse, it's probably obvious that some very big cap stocks have cast a poll over everything. I mean, Amazon fires 18,000 people. Hey, maybe they should have fired 180,000. Salesforce lays off 10% of the workforce and suddenly off oh, of their heads, not enough. Doesn't Alphabet know it's too bloated for its own good? Tesla's number's coming down again. On and on. These companies are so huge that it really weighs on the averages and weighs on my shoulders. It's discouraging. And I was discouraged. Especially with a whole bunch of people telling me that I was wrong last night when I questioned whether the world was ending. I got home too late to pull myself a mezcal. But my wife Lisa said I look so down. I said, I don't like it when people lose losing money. And I felt like I had told 40 people this week on the lightning round that they had to sell what they were interested in because their stocks may not hold up in a recession. It just crushed me to be this negative when I know that the Calvary can't be all that far away. It hasn't felt this bad except during the financial crisis. At that point, the whole financial system was in danger, not just some cryptocurrencies. Sure enough, the Calvary came this very morning, just this very morning, and with a set of cooler-than-expected macro numbers. Look, the cavalry doesn't make bad stocks into Google. Awful numbers don't become upside surprises. But today was a reminder that there's always there is an always darkest before the dawn rhythm, if not moment to the markets. And you forget that at your own peril. Now, I know the bears will be back next week. Yet what today showed us is that if you took counsel only of your fears and not your opportunities, you made less money than you could have. If you trade it out before today, you miss what might be some of the best performance you get for the whole of 2023. So let's remember today's run. Keep it in mind the next time we come home, too. Late for a cocktail, slumped into a chair, if not a dirty linoleum floor, willing to give up any hope that a stock, let alone the market, will ever rally again. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Kramer. See you Monday.